So you you said a lot of really important and sort of jarring words: ephemerality, trespassing, ambiguity, hallucination, um, mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, listening to those terms, I'm actually immediately struck by the extent to which they're congruous with another project that you that you worked on, which is uh, the the homeland hack job, and, and <laughs> uh -huh. you have to credit me for not starting with that. <laughs> right. But, right. I think I'm now constantly being introduced as the homeland hacker. <laughs> yes. So, so, and yeah. I think I think most of our listeners will probably be familiar with with that particular uh, intervention. But yes. you know, it occurred to me that there there is a fair amount of uh, of parallel between yeah. those two interventions. I mean, the voices that were expressed in the homeland hack job. I'm just going to call it the hack job. Uh, okay. Are basically, um, you know, they're again kind of faceless. Uh, you know, voices, you guys mm -hmm. had to trespass to produce that kind of work. I mean, you were invited, mm -hmm. but you were invited with a different sort of... Um, Under a different premise, uh, yeah. Exactly. So can you tell us a little bit about the parallels between those two sort of uh, works and, and how they relate to, to each other in, in your sort of contemplative experience? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's really interesting, actually, to look back at these projects and see that somehow this homeland incident really does fit within the broader themes of my work, because I really wasn't so conscious of it. Um, there was something very instinctive, again, you know, in the same way that the Speak to Tweet project Speak to Tweet came about. There was something very instinctive about what I did. And I guess it's, it's you know, now it's become a sort of natural reaction to these kinds of things. And so when, when the homeland um, opportunity came about, um, of course, my, my initial reaction was, well, clearly we need to use this opportunity and let's see, you know, how far we can go with this. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of parallels because we're also dealing with these ambiguous public spaces or urban spaces. I mean, one of the things that was really interesting about the Homeland set that we, um, um, you know, put the subversive graffiti in was this hyper-realistic you know, Syrian refugee camp. I mean, and that in and of itself was was a really fascinating thing because, um, you know, Homeland was attempting to create a very detailed set of a Syrian refugee camp without actually really addressing, um, you know, the Syrian narrative. So it was, again, about putting that narrative in, into that space. Um, and so even though we put graffiti that wasn't related to the Syrian uh, narrative, we later were invited to make a, a film about this homeland land hack. And when it became... Um, so public and, and, and it became viral in the media, we were contacted by Laura Poitras, um, who um, it, it turns out that the season five of Homeland had, had based a character that's obviously based on her. It's, it's, she's a dissident journalist who's using hacker information to expose, you know, secret, uh, government secrets. And they even name the character Laura, so they don't, they don't even bother to change her name. <laughs> so Laura Poitras contacted us. Um, she sent us an email um, when, the, when the Homeland hack was exposed, and, you know, she thought it was great. And she had told us that, like, the media was after her to, to make a statement about how she felt about her being, you know, um, kind of a character in the, in the new season. And so she she told us that she hadn't yet made a statement and that, in fact, she wanted to make a statement through us by producing a short film. So she had asked us if we had filmed anything while um, we were on set and, um, you know, writing our subversive graffiti. And in fact, we kind of secretly, 
documented, uh, you know, very crappy iPhone footage, secretly documented um, what we were doing. Um, but we had decided at that point that, well, you know, the Syrian narrative was never addressed. And in fact, we we wanted to include that. Of course, you know, the immigration narrative is so huge in Europe these days that um, there is this very kind of very shallow, one-sided media narrative um, that's addressing uh, uh, especially Syrian immigration, Syrian uh, refugees. So we decided that we would um, commission a friend of ours who is a Syrian refugee to actually react to the set, so to react to the visuals of, of what what homeland's set of a supposed Syrian refugee camp looks like. And he wrote this really incredible text kind of reacting to it and, and, and drawing from his own experiences because we also felt like we couldn't, you know, relay that narrative because that's not our experience. Um, and so that's how we used that opportunity is, is to bring in that voice also. And so, so the, the film in many ways works very similarly now that I think about it to the project speak to tweet because again it is this this other voice it's a it's a faceless voice that's speaking over um, an urban space um, and telling that narrative which is quite amazing in in light of you know various uh, institutions try really hard to appropriate dissent and and so my first mm -hmm. my first thought when you mentioned Laura Poitras reaching out is you know is is the whole jam, you know jamming job that you guys did going to mm -hmm. somehow become assimilated into the programmatic part of of the show which of course the show does quite frequently um, mm -hmm. with various sort of subversive texts kind of streaming in and out but eventually being themselves subverted later on bigotry uh, mm -hmm. on the region uh, but at the same time kind of internalizing these uh, these soft kind of discursive spaces that allow for for people to develop you know a little bit of empathy with uh, with the with the victims or with certain sort of communities um, so yeah I'm, I'm always curious as to mm -hmm. when when you know when the project becomes vulnerable to appropriation and commodification and contributes to the larger problem. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a criticism that we did receive is that, first of all, a lot of people, um, you know, suspected that we were actually hired by Homeland to do this because it gave them so much attention, right? Mm -hmm. And in many ways it did. In many ways, you know, we brought Homeland to the forefront. And I'm sure that many people out of curiosity, maybe started watching after the Homeland hack um, that maybe weren't watching before. I'm not sure. Um, but they did get a lot of attention from it. I'm sure in many ways they did benefit from it. But I have to say the one thing that I am, I am happy about um, is that the fact that this thing went viral. Um, and, you know, of course, initially, most of the media was writing about you know, how funny it was that we, we got away with this. Like a lot of people were just amused mm -hmm. by the fact that we, we managed to pull this off. But then slowly what started happening was people then really started writing meaningful articles um, and, and, and they were quite prominent and, and really addressing the issue at hand, which is the stereotyping, but also how that's kind of connected to, um, you know, um, uh, um, foreign policy and, and how that's connected to um, current events. Um, and so a more important conversation started happening. And I think, if anything, um, you know, what, what the Homeland hack 
did do successfully was that it opened up this conversation. And it seemingly um, was a conversation that needed to happen worldwide because a lot of people could relate to it. And a lot of people felt the need to express themselves about, you know, being on, you know, victimized by entertainment industry or something. Um, and so this provided that platform for people to express themselves. Um, um, so uh, I don't know if that has a lingering effect. Um, um, you know, there is a lot of um, discussion, especially today, about um, the ways in which artists use tactical media as a, a as a strategy. But in fact, in the long term, is it really something that does promote and help change? Or is it just this kind of blip, you know, that brings attention and then fades away? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, because to be honest, I don't know if anything that if what we did is going to change the way that um, Homeland, you know, writes their narratives, I highly doubt it. But what it might change is that they might be more careful about, you know, hiring <laughs> somebody um, who speaks the language to double check their text, you know. Um, so so, so I, I really don't know, you know, how deep it goes. Um, but but I think it, but I think through our own work and, and a, a lot of artists can, um are starting to use these strategies to at least open up a discussion, if anything.